Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Dave, and um, it's great to have you here. And um, yeah, can you believe it's been a pretty big week um, for a lot of us at um, New Spring? We had a beautiful wedding yesterday which is fantastic. So Sarah and Nathan Kingdon. And um, this coming Saturday, we have another wedding, which is going to be brilliant. Um, Jade Lee and Danny. And if you look in there, they're actually, um, they're, 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 they're trying the impossible. Like, try, like they're, they're attempting the impossible. But God can do miracles. And so can Jade Lee, apparently. So <laughs> they're looking to actually have their reception there and making that place look beautiful. So um, uh, that's really good. Beautiful. Well, um, I've got a, a um, title of today's message is um, called, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called, Unfinished Conversations. <laughs> it's been a big week, but you guys love me, so I was thinking too, oh, I, I was actually sitting there saying, you know what, I don't know if I've got the same kind of energy, which I normally do, but then I thought, I'm part of the family, they're going to love me anyway. I've actually got one thing which I only really wanted to say today, and it's a shame I wasn't with the um, morning service um, to say just one thing, but I am going to say some more after that. But the biggest thing which I wanted to actually say to us is that next Sunday, um, Advent begins. And um, that might surprise us, but it's actually a big thing. Um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but this year seems to have gone so fast. And every year... um, what we try to do as New Spring is that we try to slow down to the best of our ability. Um, and the reason why we try to slow down is because I've had a lot of Christmases in my life where I've kind of like Boxing Day comes and I kind of think to myself, did I just miss Christmas? Um, and um, I, f- I find just personally that the silly season can really take hold. But Advent is a beautiful gift that is actually given to us. It's the four Sundays leading up to um, leading up to Christmas Day, and Advent comes from the Latin word which means coming or arrival, and we as followers of Jesus Christ, as is our tradition, is that we, are, we, we, we take these four weeks to actually remember the very first Advent, and also we understand, we recognize that we're living in between Advents. Jesus' first arrival, Jesus' first coming was very, very small. His second one's going to be not so small, right? But we live in the in-between and we live with this anticipation, this expectation um, of Jesus coming again. And, and what we are to do as followers of Jesus Christ is, is to actually sit in this beautiful season which is given to us. And I just really want to encourage us as families to actually re- to really consider as we're leading into November 28 um, that we actually, like to the best of our ability, like, slow down. Let's try to slow down together. Um, I think it's interesting also, Advent actually marks the um, beginning of our Christian church calendar. Were you aware of that? Strange, huh? Christianity is a little bit weird. Um, and I think that Advent, is, is, it goes alongside with a lot of our liturgical practices because it intentionally disrupts us. It intentionally jolts us. I mean, what can be more disrupting to, to actually have the first year, um, the first of January 2022 should be like the beginning of the year, right? But then you think about it, wait a minute. November 28 is the beginning of the Christian calendar. That's disruptive, isn't it? Very disruptive. You can talk back to me. Like, it's dis- is that disruptive for anyone else? 
It's supposed to be that way. I was um, on my way to Leaderville. I was... Um, I was with the church in Leaderville this morning, and um, I said to them, like as a great guest speaker would actually do, I said, man, the day is so beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I was like driving to Leaderville, and honestly, I was actually thinking the place I would love to be right now is Scarborough Beach in a cafe, having a big breakfast, having a couple of coffees, sitting back, and uh, that would be amazing. Would that be anyone else's dream? Did anyone do that this morning, by the way? They had two services, so the guys in the second service, some of them actually did that. But, um, but liturgical practice is supposed to actually bring a disruption to things, and, and it's quite like, like that. Like You can have desires, and like my desire was like, I wanted to go to Scarborough Beach, but to actually put things in place actually puts a disruption to those desires, and they're actually really good for us. Our, our practices like prayer and um, coming together, solitude and, and gathering and fasting, all these things are, are supposed to actually... Um, disrupt us. They're supposed to make us stop. They're supposed to make us sit. They're supposed to make us wait. So from next week, I guess, a lot of us are going to be thinking about putting up the Christmas tree. We're going to be thinking about listening to our favorite Christmas songs. We're going to be rummaging through those books, um, looking for great Christmas recipes. Anyone else going to be doing that? And who's going to be looking and watching those big gray Christmas movies? We're going to be doing that. We're all going to be doing that. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But in the midst of all that, the point of Advent is for us to spend four weeks preparing for Christmas before December 25 comes. And what I just wanted to say today is Advent's next week, November 28. So I wanted to put that in our minds. And um, I could say that ends the message. Let's go home. But we will continue. What I wanted to do in regard to that, I actually wanted to talk about a biblical concept, um, a biblical idea called unfinished conversations. And it comes from a passage of scripture which is very pivotal, it's very significant in a biblical narrative. It's found in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to there? We're going to be there in a bit. And um, we're going to spend um, the next couple of weeks actually looking at some of the uh, nativity narratives um, as we do that. But I wanted to actually bring to our mind one biblical thought as we look at a priest whose name is Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, and that one thought is unfinished conversations. But before we get to Luke 1, I want to give you a bit of the backstory and um, a little bit of a lead into it. And um, what I was thinking is that the idea of unfinished conversations could be, should be pretty familiar to all of us, especially if you're married. Amen? Right? Have you got that? Have you ever had a conversation with your spouse only to be interrupted by your kid or someone else and then time flies and you have to like, oh my goodness, I need to go to work. So you get into your car, you drive to work and if you're anything like me, you come to work and then you go get a coffee because pastors are absolutely addicted to caffeine. Um, everyone knows that, especially your pastor. So you go do that, you look through some emails and you go to your first meeting, you come out of your first meeting and then you journey through the rest of your day and you just go through it. It might take eight hours, nine hours, ten hours. You may be um, like at the roastery, probably takes you like 23 hours because like you just go nuts. But you, you get back into the car, then you go home and as you're about to reach for the doorknob, it suddenly occurs to you, oh, wait a minute. We've got a conversation that we didn't finish like nine hours ago and depending on the tone, you know what I'm saying? Depending on the tone, you either take a step back to kind of center yourself, or if it's like a good one, you kind of walk in, and, and you know that as soon as you walk in, you've got to pick up where you left off. You've had those conversations, or is it just like the writers? Okay? All right, babe, we're cool. Everyone else is like us. Or 
Parents of teenagers, parents of teenagers, <laughs> parents of teenagers, have you ever like, sort of seen your teen, teenager walking out the door and you yell out to your teenager, this conversation is not finished, only to have them sort of shrug it off, they walk out and you think to yourself, man, we are definitely going to finish this conversation. And there is this resolve inside of you that this, that punk thinks this conversation's over, we are going to finish this conversation. We have all had unfinished conversations, haven't we? We've had unfinished conversations with our wives, husbands, with our children, with mums, with dads, with teachers, with colleagues. We've even had unfinished conversations with ourselves. But what about the unfinished conversations with God? What about those ones? Because I dare say there are a lot of unfinished conversations with God. Well, as we're leading into Advent, I want to probably just remind us that the Christmas story actually picks up on a conversation that was left unfinished. It was left unfinished 400 years prior. <laughs> it was a conversation that had been facilitated through the prophet Malachi. And um, interesting about this conversation is that this conversation didn't start well and it ended even worse. And um, it, it was one of those conversations. I thought I might just give you the top and tail so you can at least kind of sense the tone of this conversation. So Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, this is God speaking to Israel and particularly speaking to his priests in Israel. This is what he says. He says, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? I mean, like seriously, if you read that, that kind of reads to me like some hormonal, hangry teenager, right? It, it doesn't kind of read like God's precious, chosen people. You know, I'm thinking, like, these guys, like, seriously, the Lord is speaking to you and says, I love you, and you're saying, really? In what way do you love us? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Could you imagine if someone, oh, I, I, mate, the Lord is full of mercy. That's all I have to say. It doesn't start well, but the thing is, this conversation doesn't end well either. So Malachi 4 verse 5 says this. God speaking again, he says through Malachi, he says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Get this. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. I mean, they're pretty ominous words, wouldn't you say? I mean, like, seriously, if you had the Lord speaking to you, I mean, none of us want that kind of conversation, right? This is what God's saying. He's saying, okay, I'm going to send my prophet to you, and depending on how you treat him, depending on that, depends on whether or not I'm going to come and curse your land or not. I mean, this is ominous stuff. And then after God speaks, guess what he does? He shuts his mouth for 400 years. <laughs> The last thing, could you imagine for 400 years, the last thing that you have ringing in your ears from God is that. That's like, this is a conversation from God, right? The silence would have been absolutely deafening. Absolutely deafening. God's conversation with Israel didn't go so well. I mean, that's a tone. I, I mean, am I just reading that? I, I, that's what I get from that. It doesn't seem to have gone so well, right? And the reason why the conversation didn't go so well is because Israel, in particular the priests, had accused Yahweh of being unfaithful. Accused him of being unfaithful. Bit of a backstory. At the time of Malachi, Israel was still waiting for this incredible prophecy that was given, this incredible promise that was given by another prophet by the name Isaiah. 
They were still waiting for this. And Isaiah gave this incredible prophecy when Israel were in this moment of exile. And if you know anything about Israel's scriptures or anything about Israel's history, exile is the darkest moment in their history. It's like the lowest of the lows. I mean, it is worse than Australia losing the ashes to England. It is worse than that. You know, I remember a couple of like 2007 or so when we went to England and we lost the ashes. We, as Australia, we were devastated. Right? This is the worst of the worst. This is the low of the low. This is the darkest moment in their history. This is a time when uh, um, they, uh, we read stories and prophecies in their Psalms, like Psalm 137, which reads like this. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we thought about Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insist, insisted a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? This was like the bottom. that You couldn't get any, any lower. This was the moment of deepest despair, the darkest moment in their history. And it's at this particular moment where they are at their darkest moment, the lowest of the low. It's at this moment where the prophet Isaiah starts reminding them and speaking to them about their most highest moment. Uh, about, about one of the most, the most glorious moments they've had. He starts reminding them about the time when God rescued them by the, with the mighty exodus and actually brought them out of Egypt. Do you remember that story? Come on, you can't actually speak back to a brother. Do you remember that story? You've all watched the movies, right? It's incredible that while they're at the lowest of the low, Isaiah reminds them of the highest of the high, and Isaiah's not doing that to actually rub their nose in it. You might think that. You think, oh, Isaiah is being a meanie. He's not being a meanie at all. What he is doing is that he's actually letting them know, you know, that exodus is going to be another exodus. But God is about to do something that's going to completely overshadow everything he's done in the past. This new exodus is going to surpass the old exodus, and it's actually going to deal with the original issue. It's actually going to get to that issue of sin. This is going to be a momentous occasion. This is going to be, like you might be thinking, you're right now, you're the lowest of the low, but a big thing's going to come. The pro this second exodus moment is going to come, and it's going to completely overshadow everything in our story of what God has done in the past. And you can imagine how excited they would be, how joyous they would be, and like you, your minds and your hearts are filled with this prophetic promise. And then imagine Israel's surprise. Actually, no. Imagine their bitter, bitter disappointment. That when they return from exile, number one, they are released and they are like able to go back, not by the hands of one of their own mighty men, no, but by the hands of a pagan king called Cyrus, and when they return home, their land's in ruin. They build a temple, fully expecting the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, fully expecting God to return, just like in the days of Solomon, when Solomon built his temple and the glory of God just came down. So they, they build the temple, they consecrate their temple, they pray over their temple, they wait for the glory of God and nothing. Nada. Absolutely nothing. You can imagine their bitter, bitter, bitter disappointment. They'd returned home from exile, but they're still in exile because God's presence hasn't returned to his temple. Israel is still being harassed and dominated by other nations. And Israel is now behaving like other nations. So instead of being a light to the nations, they've just become just 
like the other nations. And as with this backdrop, Israel are accusing Yahweh of being weak, of not being faithful. They are accusing him of being unfaithful to their covenant. And Malachi actually looks at Israel and says, no, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is not Yahweh's unfaithfulness. Oh, Israel, the issue is your unfaithfulness. And if God had to return right now, ooh, he's going to come suddenly, make no mistake. But if he had to come right now, it would not bode well for you. So this conversation between God and Israel, it's kind of blunt, isn't it? It's kind of abrupt. It is brutally honest. And if you've ever read Malachi, it's actually pretty difficult to read because and it ends with this ominous warning. And then after this ominous warning, there's just like silence. Israel's scriptures cease in the most unsatisfactory of ways. God's promise, unfulfilled. God's presence, absent. God's silence, deafening. And then, after 400 years, the conversation starts again. And I want to pick up on the conversation. I'm going to read it in your hearing, um, and I'll have a couple of scriptures later. But just listen from Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 23, as this conversation picks up again. Verse 5 reads, When Herod was king of, of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving in God's temple for his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. When the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He, will, he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. 
How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. This is God's word. What I find very interesting in this story, um, as we've read, is that after 400 years, God's angel um, appears to a priest and, funnily enough to me, he repeats the very last thing that God had said to the priests of Israel through Malachi. I don't know if you picked that up in what we read. I'll point it out. Let's have a look. Luke 1 verse 17. This is Gabriel speaking to Zechariah. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. The last bit of Malachi um, reads like this. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Here we go. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers otherwise i will come and strike the land with a curse you notice the repetition there please tell me you notice the repetition it's like there black <laughs> the only thing that's actually missing um in luke is that in luke Gabriel says he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, which is actually a throwback to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which is actually a throwback to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. In other words, this biblical narrative is actually coming to its climax. It's a phenomenal thing to actually look at it as it's coming. So the thing that I kind of find intriguing is that God through the messenger or God through the angel Gabriel picks up exactly where Malachi kind of left off. That seems intriguing to me. And Zechariah knew exactly what this meant, as did the rest of Israel. In fact, Israel's waiting for this moment. They, they've been studying Daniel and they're kind of putting the numbers together and they kind of pinpointed and sort of thought, you know what, this is around the time when this kind of moment is going to happen. So for Zechariah, he knew that when, when he's picking up this conversation, he knew that this meant that the second exodus, it is just around the corner, something's going to happen. And this means that the mighty arm of God is going to start moving once again, that God is going to form a people through whom he's going to reclaim the nations, that there's going to be this resurrection that's going to bring forth this brand new age so this is really really exciting stuff he knows that this is going to happen this is absolutely phenomenal and it seems to me that as as this is being articulated that the promises of God that seem to be so silent for 400 years it wasn't that God forgotten the promises it wasn't that God was being unfaithful to the promises it was that God simply had an unfinished conversation with his people which is now being picked up once again it's an unfinished conversation. And it's not an unfinished conversation with your wife or with your husband or with your pastor or with your friend. This is an unfinished conversation with God. And that is precisely how the Christmas story starts. Isn't that cool? I think that's awesome. I think that's great. Personally, I think that's great. Because like, seriously, no, no man could have made this up. That's how our Christmas story begins. It's so phenomenal. And you may kind of ask, okay, Dave, like this kind of stuff, this happened like five, around 5 BC. Like what in the world does it have to be, do to me living in 
year 2021, Perth, Western Australia. Don't you know there's so many things going on? We've got a global pandemic, we've got polarisation, we've got people rallying, we've got all sorts of stuff going on. We've got metaverses which are about to, to come. Actually, I was like listening to Mark Sayers' podcast and he was talking about the, the possibility that you can have like a Star Wars metaverse and you can actually buy land in like a Star... Like that is just... Nuts. Is that nuts for anyone else? Imagine not being able to have any property whatsoever in Perth, but you can have property in a digital virtual reality. <laughs> That's like... What is this world coming to? Well, it is going to be here in about five years. <laughs> so what does this have to do with us? One word, Advent. The arrival of Christ and how are we waiting for that? What is our posture of waiting? Israel had been waiting for the arrival of God. In this moment, Zechariah has an encounter out of nowhere, did not wake up in the morning thinking, you know what, I'm going to go and we're going to cast lots and I reckon it just might be my turn. There are thousands of priests. What are the chances? This is providence happening, like working out here. You know what I'm saying? He didn't wake up in the morning and say, what, like, this is what's going to happen. No, 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 no. But he is all of a sudden, he is put in a position and a posture where now he is waiting. He is waiting. And for you and I sitting here and actually living in 2021, the question is, how are we waiting, especially when the waiting drags on for so long? 2,000 plus years is a long time, right? First Advent, awesome. That's going to be fantastic. We love that. But we're waiting for when he comes in his glory. And how are we going to live in between Advents? How are we going to live? We've been using this quote from Tom Wright over the last couple of, of, um, of weeks when talking about the Bible as an unfinished drama, which contains in its own an impetus, its own forward mo movement, which demands to be concluded in a proper manner. It requires that the actors are responsible for entering into the story as it stands in order to first to understand how the threads could appropriately be drawn together and then to put that understanding into effect by speaking and acting with innovation and consistency. How are we going to do that when we're living in between Advents? How are we going to do that when we are actually still in an unfinished conversation with God? That's all I kind of want to say. And um, if you've been part of our church, we've been really um, um, pushing the point that we really need to become more and more familiar with the biblical story in order for us to actually um, live faithfully in between these ages, in between these advents. God has chosen to invade this present evil age with pockets of resurrection life which are scattered throughout the entire world. Imagine that, pockets of life. Pockets of power scattered all over the world. We call these pockets the local church. Isn't that cool to know? We're temples of the Holy Spirit, monuments to the victory of God. And we are, when we gather together, God literally is in our midst. It's absolutely phenomenal. But what does it mean to actually live in the tension of an unfinished conversation, to live in the tension of living in between two advents? What does it mean to be faithful? We've been talking about this stuff for the majority of this year. 
It means that we are to take on postures of the cross, that, that we as New Spring Church, that we are to step into a posture of taking delight in each other and loving each other, of serving each other, of providing hospitality to each other, of actually taking on the spiritual weaponry of welcome and invitation with one another. And as a community that lives in Christ, we want to be shaped by the story of Christ. And um, that is what we want to do. But um, I just wanted to talk about another unfinished conversation in the story, which I kind of feel might hit a little bit um, in our homes. Um, because there's this meta-narrative, and we've been spending a lot of time in the last three years about this meta-narrative, but there's also an unfinished story, a conversation that happens in the story. And it's not between God and Israel, it's actually between Zechariah, Elizabeth, and God. And there's been silence in this conversation. But it hasn't been 400 years of silence. But nevertheless, it's kind of been long enough for Zechariah to have an interesting response when he's confronted with an angel hello. Could you imagine like, if you had an angel appear before you and fear literally gripped you and the angel said something to you, what would your response be? Say, yes, sir, amen. But there's enough silence for Zechariah to actually say, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in Yes, I'm thinking this guy is wise because that is the most craftiest way I've ever heard of a guy actually saying, you know what, my wife's old. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom over there. And the subject matter of this conversation, which is currently unfinished, was actually told to us earlier in the story. Verse 7 says they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very, very old. They were both very old. And Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're both righteous people. They're both righteous people. They're both from the line of priests. And they've been having this conversation with God because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. They're both very old. I mean, like, let me ask you a question. When do you think this conversation kind of started? They're old now. When do you think they figured out that Elizabeth can't conceive? Maybe a couple of decades prior, yeah? So when do you think the conversation started? Maybe a couple of decades prior? It's been a lot of waiting, yeah? Been a lot of waiting. And that, I think that consideration makes the following verse, is of what I'm going to read, very uncomfortable for us as Western Christians who love instant answers and just instant everything. From verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. That intrigues me. Because if I was like praying to God for years, probably decades, I'd have prayers. But the Lord's heard your prayer. The very first time you open up this conversation, God heard you. It's not prayers, it's prayer. When did God hear it? Well, the very first time he prayed it. 
doesn't appear that he heard anything, really, to be honest. A righteous man praying for a child seems like a really noble thing to do. Man and woman living in this culture that would completely like, just not treat you too well if you didn't have children. And it seems to me quite normal that Zachariah would have honestly thought, I've prayed this prayer, God said no. I'd do that. It seems to me that maybe the anchor of waiting had sunk Zechariah's heart to such a depth that even while speaking face to face with an angel and fear gripping his entire body whilst his angel is declaring good news to him, he would still say, how can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now. I'm an old man now. Gabriel, if you rocked up 20 years ago, maybe I would have believed you, right? But now I'm an old man. Seriously. How am I supposed to believe you now? But, but can, can you kind of like think about the, the psyche? Like seriously, like, it, like an angel of the Lord appearing, right? An angel of the Lord appearing to the point where fear has gripped your entire body and you hear these words from an angel of the Lord and still, how can this happen? I'm an old man now. No, no, no. There has been years and there has been decades of, of, of thought and pondering about this prayer which he prayed decades ago, which has left him to come to a point where, no, 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 that conversation's ended, surely. That conversation's ended. I guarantee you when he woke up that day, the conversation that he started decades earlier was not even in the forefront or the back or anywhere in his mind at that time. And it seems very, very natural that he assumed the conversation was over and Gabriel just rocks up at any given time. He, like Zachariah didn't expect to be, um, be, be, be chosen by a lot at that particular day, but Gabriel comes and he actually lets them know that conversation hasn't ended, it's just unfinished. It's a secondary unfinished. I think it's amazing how God will actually take our stories and actually engraft them into his story. Because there is a meta-narrative which is happening here. There is a conversation between God and Israel which is yet to be unfinished, but there's also a secondary story with Zechariah, Elizabeth, and God, which is also unfinished as well. The Lord has heard your prayer. And I think that's very intriguing for us. Um, And um, I found it kind of interesting that even personally, as I was kind of thinking about this scripture, and um, I was thinking, oh, wow, that's just really intriguing, just seeing these, these things come together. And then I felt God kind of like even look at me and say, okay, well, there are prayers that you've prayed, Dave. And there are. Do you remember when you like, like, some of you guys are young, but do you remember when you were young? And you had faith and you had strength. I'm not saying that you're old, by the way, Malcolm. <laughs> but like, I remember we like, when I was younger, and like, I don't know if it was just youthful dumbness, but you honestly think you can just take on the world. You can just change the world. And I remember praying these prayers, you know. I remember like praying about like and having these ideas and things, you know what, the kingdom of God could actually just break into Perth in these beautiful, extraordinary, extravagant, just different kind of ways and all that. And then the years pass and then like many more years pass and, and um, then you kind of like sort of think to yourself, you know, well, God obviously said no to that. And then you have to try and manage because when you, have a, when you feel like God said no, it's like a disappointment, Right? 
And the disappointment, you're trying to manage the disappointment because you don't want that disappointment to sink your faith. That's kind of me. Is anyone else like that? And maybe in, the, in line with the biblical narrative, as we've kind of looked at from a different perspective today, maybe there are actually some prayers and some conversations that we've actually begun with the Lord. And because of the waiting and because of the time, we've kind of assumed that they've come to a close but quite possibly, some of those conversations are just unfinished. And that's kind of all I'm saying. I think there are dreams, I think there are visions, I think there are things that God does speak to us. And then time does pass. And the waiting can often leave us so disappointed. And so many times I've found personally in the waiting, I do some silly things in the waiting as well. Because I'm waiting for something from God and something else comes say, yeah, I'm going to grab that instead. That's just me. But what are some, or are there some unfinished conversations that you have with your God? In a moment, we're just going to give a little bit of time to allow the Holy Spirit to maybe surprise us and bring some of that to our attention. I think it's interesting that Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, the Lord has heard your prayer. Not prayers, he's heard your prayer. Maybe some prayers you prayed a couple of years ago, or when you were younger, much younger. And maybe the Lord wants to remind you that he's heard that prayer. And we may have assumed that there's been a conclusion to that conversation. And maybe in a most surprising, unexpected way, the Lord would actually come upon us and just give us a bit of a nudge and says, the conversation's not closed, it's just unfinished. And I wonder what our posture will be when that happens. What will our waiting be when that happens? So I might just call the band up and um, we'll just take a moment just to stop, to reflect, to think, and just to allow God to speak. Are there some conversations you've had? I remember some conversations I had when I was younger and I'm like, I'm convinced. I was like, God, I, I am convinced we're on the same page in this one. But I'm... And then all of a sudden you blink and you're 42. It was like, I thought we were on the same page. 